Marvin Mims is headed to the NFL. The Oklahoma Sooners are in the market for some offensive line help through the portal. And could the SEC consider further expansion? There's a really good argument to be made, and we'll discuss that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation, and welcome to Locked On Sooners, a special Friday night edition recording on a Friday night edition of Locked On Sooners. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, how you doing, my friend? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, obviously, now we can you know, really sort of, I think, put this offseason into overdrive. Now that we've got the decision sort of everybody was waiting on, which was, well, the the pair of decisions everybody's been waiting on. Dylan Gabriel, is he coming back? Ding, ding, ding. Marvin Mims, is he coming back? No, he's off to uh, the National Football League. So. So now it's time to replenish, replace, and hopefully develop from within for Oklahoma. But uh, obviously, you know, the, the loss of Marvin Mims, Everybody understands uh, a, a huge one, just the amount of production that uh, he's brought to the University of Oklahoma. 2020 season, 610 yards, nine touchdowns there. Uh, 2021, 705 yards, 32 grabs, five touchdowns. And, of course, uh, this season, very, very productive as well. So it's uh, it's a substantial loss. It's an NFL talent for Oklahoma. Wish him the best. John, we've probably talked about uh, Marvin Mims in, in my time on the show in terms of somebody's decision to go to the league more than anybody else uh, in terms of just will they stay, will they go, is it right, is it uh, wrong, you know, could they benefit themselves by coming back? And ultimately, yeah, th- there was a, an outside chance, I think, that Marvin Mims could have benefited himself by coming back to Oklahoma. But I think you, I, most people agree that probably Marvin Mims unless he just plummets on draft day or, you know, between now and when he gets drafted, which I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's going to turn some heads at the combine at pro day, all those sorts of things. So unless, you know, he just kind of like absolutely plummets. I don't know that he was going to really enhance his stock a ton by coming back unless he came back and, you know, was the Belitnikov award winner or something, but just the physical traits. I don't know that he was positioned to, necessarily help himself a bunch so i think it's the right decision for him and now the question john becomes what does this mean for oklahoma's wide receiver group i think you got a good starting place with jalil farouk and then some of the other young names to talk about where are you at well what what does it mean for marvin mims what does it mean for oklahoma just to provide a little bit of historical context as we kind of reflect back on marvin mims career you did a great job just outlining his first two seasons but let's just look at it as a career So only one player in Oklahoma Sooners history has more than 1,500 yards and averaged more yards per reception than Marvin Mims did in his career. Take a stab at who you think that might be, Josh. I'm guessing C.D. Lamb? No. Ryan Broyles? No. 
I, I don't know. I mean, the, those would be two of the top names that would come to mind. Keith Jackson is the only player hmm. in Oklahoma history with more than 1,500 receiving yards in his career and averaged more yards per reception than Marvin Mims. He averaged 24 yards per reception. I mean, he was just a unicorn back in the, the mid-80s in, in the uh, triple or the wishbone offense. Marvin Mims averaged 19.5 yards per reception for his career. Um, again, just better than CeeDee Lamb, who averaged 19 yards per reception, just better than Marquise Brown, who averaged 18.3 yards per reception. I mean, that's elite company. I talked the other day just about how maybe he didn't have like these elite traits that just stood out and, and whether it was size or, you know, jumping ability or speed or anything like that. The fact of the matter is the dude just knows how to win down the field. And when he gets behind defensive backs, it usually leads to good things. You don't average 19.5 yards per reception on what was it? 123 catches over three seasons without being really good at winning down the field. And maybe that's just it. That's maybe that's his elite ability is just his ability to get down the field and win deep. Like that's, it's, it's kind of a rare thing to be able to do, especially if you don't have the speed to kind of just blow people away. I think of a guy, I know I always reference the Dallas Cowboys, but it's the team I watch the most closely in the NFL. Michael Gallup, another guy that doesn't necessarily have elite speed, but is constantly getting behind guys. He's constantly getting behind people in one-on-one coverage. Now, does it always lead to a completion? Not always, but I think that's why Marvin Mims was so good. Now, turning the page to what it means for the Oklahoma Sooners, I really feel like this means Jaleel Farouk is going to be able to have a chance to take another step forward. We've seen how important he is to the Oklahoma Sooners offense in that not only were they getting him involved in the passing game, but he was becoming an integral part of the run game as well. You look back at the Texas game, that was kind of really one of his better games of the year early on, even though he didn't catch a lot of passes, he ran the ball really well in that game. And then it kind of sparked what was a a pretty solid season for Jaleel Farouk. Um, I think he's probably the player that stands to benefit the most um, from Marvin Mims departure because a lot of those targets that went to Marvin Mims are going to have to go to somebody. Now they don't necessarily go to the next guy, but he had a really solid season as kind of Oklahoma's number two wide receiver, 37 catches, 466 yards, five touchdowns. And he had one, two, three, four, five, six games with more than five receptions on the season or sorry, more than four receptions on the season. That's pretty solid. Now you, you take some of those, you know, Mims targets, you redistribute them a little bit. Jill Farouk's a guy that can win in a lot of different areas of the field. He's really good after the catch, like we saw in the Alamo Bowl a year ago, like we saw different times this season, really good just with the ball in his hands. And as much as I rail against Jeff Levy wanting to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage, Jalil Farouk is a guy that if you want to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage and have your receiver do something with it when he gets it, he's a great player for that. Like, he's really good. He's not the same talent as Debo Samuel, but I feel like he kind of fits that same type of player as Debo Samuel, a guy that can do a lot of different things for you in your offense. And so I think he could have a really big 2023 season. Well, he's obviously going to be one of the beneficiaries, no doubt about it, just given the production we've seen already and, you know, where he's been on the depth chart, what this past season looked like for him. It's easy for Farouk to be that candidate. And frankly, He's going to have to be that type of breakout guy for Oklahoma. He's already been productive at OU, but now it's time for 
him to become a number one wide receiver, right? Which every wide receiver, John, wants to be the number one wide receiver. So I, I don't think you're in a situation here where Jalil Farouk is in any way, shape, or form shying away from this opportunity. I'm sure, you know, look, he'd, he'd love for Mims to be back, right? You want your uh, you want to play with your brothers in arms as long as possible. But from the same end of the equation, he's probably kind of excited that Marvin Mims is moving on to a certain degree because it does uh, set the stage for him to to be Oklahoma's big receiving star. Beyond that, obviously, uh, good news recently with Drake Stoops deciding to go ahead and opt in for his next season, you know, of that extra season of eligibility that he's got. We're still looking for now Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson to – they're going to have to be light years better than what we saw as true freshmen, which – you would expect that that's going to be the case for them. I'm looking at both J.J. Hester and L.V. Bunkley Shelton's direction. We saw a little bit of L.V. Bunkley Shelton in the Cheez-It Bowl. We saw Oklahoma start to look his direction a little bit, so that would signal that maybe, similar to what we saw a year ago, right, in the Valero Alamo Bowl with Jaleel Farouk to kind of sort of uh, put the wheels in motion for what wound up being a very, very good 2022 for him. There were those early – early signs here with LV Bunkley Shelton that maybe that's kind of one of the next names in line, though there's going to be some serious competition in this signing class, though we didn't necessarily see it again from either a Gibson or an Anderson. I just think kind of based on what the recruiting profile says and just the sheer talent when you flip on the tape of both a Jaquez Petaway and a Keon Brown, John, they're going to be heavily involved. One of those two guys I swing and a miss, right? Swing and a miss this time a year ago. Felt the same way about Jaden Gibson and Nick Anderson. But I just think that to me, I'm still, I'm going to be surprised if either Petaway or Keon Brown, by the time this thing's all said and done, and we're having this show a year from now, that one of those two names we're not talking about. I'm not saying that they're going to be a 40 catch guy or, you know, a five, 600 yard receiver or anything like that. But I think the chances that you saw Jaden Gibson get early for Oklahoma, hopefully we're talking about Petaway or Keon Brown next season, getting those chances and delivering upon those chances. That's going to be pivotal for OU. Yeah. I mean, Petaway in particular, he's a guy that brings something you don't really have. You've got some long speed guys like a Jaden Gibson, but do you have somebody that's got that kind of elite quick, you know, zero to zero to a hundred kind of speed. Petaway might be able to be that deep threat for you now that Marvin Mims is heading out the door. But I think Jaden Gibson could could potentially fill that role too. I mean, we saw that he's got the ability to break away from people um, after the catch when, when we saw him in the spring game. So it's going to be a really interesting competition. I mean, Oklahoma's still actually going after transfer portal wide receivers as well. So they're not necessarily resting on their laurels. And speaking of the transfer portal, I mean, the offensive line stuff is continuing to be very interesting for Oklahoma. When we talked about uh, the the addition of Caleb Schaefer on our show earlier this week. And we'll talk about a couple more offensive linemen that Oklahoma is targeting and which might mean more for the Sooners. But first, let me talk to you about built bar. This built bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Easy to eat hundred percent covered in chocolate. It tastes great. And it's great for you anywhere from, you know, 17 to 19 grams of protein, only 130 calories, four grams of sugar. I mean, what more could you ask for in a protein bar? You look at a lot of the protein bars you might see on the shelves at the gas station, and man, they're just chock full of sugar. Well, Built Bar, that's not the case. And they got so many great flavors that if you 
aren't sure which one you want to try, they got a great mixed box that lets you try them all. And you can figure out which ones you like the best. My favorite is the peanut butter brownie. Also love that coconut almond. Just kind of reminds me of an, an almond joy. Again, the best tasting protein bar I've ever had. Tastes just like a candy bar and it's great for you. So go to built.com. Use promo code locked on 15. You can get 15% off your next order over at built.com. And again, thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're free and available on all podcast platforms. And hey, go check out the Locked On College Basketball uh, podcast as well, hosted by our Locked On College Basketball experts. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. So go check out that show as well. It's basketball season. March Madness is just two months away. So tournament time is coming. All right, Josh, Walter Rouse versus Matthew Lee. Uh, they hosted both these guys or had, has Rouse been on campus yet? I haven't, I hadn't seen that yet, but Lee definitely was on campus. The center from UCF uh, came to visit the Oklahoma Sooners, which is very intriguing. He's a guy that graded out very well, according to pro football focus, the third best center in college football, according to pro football focus. Um, you posed the question as we were kind of getting ready for the show, which would be more important. Now, Walter Rouse left tackle from Stanford, Played a ton for the Cardinal. Matthew Lee, center from UCF, also played a ton for the Knights. So, Josh, take it away. Which one do you think would be most important for the Oklahoma Sooners to land in this recruitment? Okay, so I think it's very important that Oklahoma just lands both, right? <laughs> you got an opportunity to land both, land both. But if you're you're making me do the uh, pardon pardon the interruption discussion here, right? Then I think it's got to be Walter Rouse for me. You, you had the injury to Sexton. It uh, hasn't been officially revealed, John, or shared, but just kind of judging by uh, maybe some afternoon comments that one Teddy Lehman said on the rush with Tyler McComas, I'm sort of reading the tea leaves that it's a more severe knee injury than uh, anybody would like. So that alone hurts your tackle depth a little bit going into next season. So for that reason, and just the fact that you're replacing both your left and right tackle, uh, your two starters from this season, I think the more important of the two is Walter Rouse over Matthew Lee. But let me go ahead and just tell you that Matt Lee's played a lot of football at UCF has been the starting center there for a long time for multiple seasons and was an all AAC player. So I think it's, you know, if you can land both of these guys, uh, Bill Beanbow, we keep talking about it, man. He has made a killing here of late out of the uh, transfer portal. And it'd be great to land both of these. And it's really intriguing, too, because this is a guy that's played with Dylan Gabriel. So not only do you, you get someone who's played a lot of football, but he's played a lot of football with your quarterback, which is kind of an intriguing proposition. The, the thing that I wonder, though, is what does it mean for Andrew Rain? And I've seen kind of some scuttlebutt that maybe you kick him out to guard a little bit, but you just signed a guard uh, to potentially you know take over at left or right guard with Chris Murray going out. So is his injury something that's going to be potentially lingering that keeps him out for you know a, a, a portion of the 2023 season? And that's why you're having to really address the center position like you're trying to address the tackle position. That That's intriguing to me. I don't think we have a, a firm timeline uh, I think the last thing I saw from Andrew Rain was that he felt like he was going to be ready by spring. And is this just one of those situations where it's like, hey, Brent Venables is just saying, nobody's safe. 
if you thought you had a starting job just because you were an incumbent player, you're not safe. You still got to earn it. And if we have an opportunity to add talent at a certain position, we're going to do it. If it, if it makes the person that we've got better, great. If not, then this person could take the job. I don't, I don't, it's going to be intriguing. I don't know if that's his thought process or not. It just kind of feels like they're not resting on anything. They're not assuming anything about anybody at this point in time. Well, and just breaking down the center position a little bit, I, I actually backtrack just a smidge in terms of the depth charts. Instead of Florida State, I went back to Texas Tech just to see kind of what the lay of the land was for that game. So still, obviously, even though I don't – Rain didn't play versus Texas Tech, did he? Wasn't he hurt before that? So at any rate, he was still listed atop the depth chart. Conjol was uh, second on the depth chart, and then Nate Anderson right there, uh, you know, third on the depth chart. Conjol, of course, we know, boom, has has moved on. Andrew Rame, you mentioned the the injury situation. So just from that alone, probably has you saying, okay, let's bring another center into the equation if we if we can do so. Right? You went and you added Schaefer. I think you know with. Matayer, what we saw, that's obviously been positive. Bird really uh, really was impressive in the bowl game. I think, uh, you know, versus Florida State, Bird in the Cheez-It Bowl really, uh, really impressed some people. So you probably feel maybe a little bit better right now at guard than I think you do maybe center. Going into next season, though, Joshua Bates, we know about our man Joshua Bates. And, uh, you know, He's got a chance, some people think, to step in and be a difference maker right away. But this, at least, again, gives you that kind of like early insurance plan for both Rame and the fact that Konjalov obviously is moving on. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to Joshua Bates and Norman. I just, I'm not creating any kind of expectation to see true freshmen next year. I was, I was let down. I was disappointed, man. I was expecting to see, you know, more Robert Spears Jennings, more Jaron Canick, more Gentry Williams, more, uh, you know, Kobe McKenzie, you know, with, with the, the lack of depth we had at linebacker, you know, I was hoping to see just more true freshmen. And, you know, we talked about Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, more of them. We saw Gavin Freeman. Like we got to see him quite a bit. We got to see, you know, Jaron Canick a little bit. Um, got to see our Mason Thomas a lot, but yeah, so going into next year, I'm not really putting any kind of expectations on true freshmen to play. Cause I just don't feel like the coaching staff really wants to put true freshmen out there unless they're like head and shoulders better than everybody else on the depth chart. It is just clear and obvious that they've got the, the playbook down. They know their responsibilities. They're taking care of all their business and they're just uh, immediately better than everybody else. Like to me, if all things are equal, they're going with the guy that's played and has got experience at the college football level versus a true freshman. That's just kind of where I sound at. But I do think it's an intriguing proposition to potentially add Walt, um, Walter Rouse and Matthew Lee and Caleb Schaefer. Again, we, we talk about all the time building depth, building competition, and that's something that Oklahoma lacked this year is they just didn't seem to have enough depth across the board. And you know what? Bringing in 40 new guys and losing as many guys as you'd lost, I mean, that'll do it for you. Uh, you know, TJ Eckerd, I believe from Tulsa. I can't remember the exact, is he from news nine in Tulsa? I can have the answer for you quickly. I yeah. should know. He comes on the station a bunch. Yeah. Sorry, TJ. I'm, I'm blowing it here, but he had a really great you know observation that Oklahoma was losing a ton 
uh, off of their offense. And we saw the impact that losing a ton off their defense did for from 2021 to 2022. So losing Marvin Mims, Eric Gray, Anton Harrison, Wanya Morris, uh, Chris Murray, Theo Weiss, Braden Willis. I think that touches everybody, but losing that much production and talent off your offense from 2022 to 2023, I think attacking the transfer portal to try and find veteran replacements for these guys. I think that's, that's a smart move. Um, You know, it was a little bit up and down from 21 to 22 and the the transfer portal class, you got good production on the defensive side from a few guys, but hopefully your additions with, if you're able to land Rouse, if you're able to land Lee, add them to Caleb Schaefer, add them to bringing back Austin Stogner. I think it probably provides you a little bit better security almost on offense. And then you hope that your young town around it kind of steps up their games as you fill in with these veteran transfer additions. You said something that was kind of interesting. I totally agree with you. I think it was made pretty clear that Brent Venables and this staff, well, ultimately the buck stops with Brent, right? It's his decision, but it feels like Brent and the entirety of the staff didn't philosophically just feel comfortable. Just, Hey, let's throw this freshman. Let's throw that freshman out there. If things go poorly again, early, for Oklahoma next season, it'll be curious to see if, if, and let's hope we don't have to, let's hope we don't have to, you know, find this fork in the road, but it'll be interesting to see if, Oh, you adopts that similar approach or if they pivot a little bit with the way that I, I agree with you that they didn't play at times, a bunch of young guys this season, right? That, uh, that to me will be fascinating to follow because, you could make the argument either way that, okay, well, now finally they're making the right decision in, in playing these young players because guess what? This season's a lost cause, et cetera, et cetera. Or that could kind of mean that you're hitting the panic button, right, a little bit, that you're sort of abandoning the approach that philosophically you believe in. At any rate, it'd be nice. I still stand by the idea that it'd be huge for Oklahoma if this recruiting class, this signing class is such a, you know, hit, hit, hit ding, 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 that a couple of these guys, kind of like you said, John, they're just too good to leave on the sideline, right? That it sort of takes that decision-making process a little bit out of your hands. By the way, our man TJ Eckert, KTOL, K-T-U-L, News Channel A. Thank you very much. Sorry about that. Um, And and I failed to mention Javante Barnes as well. Obviously, he played a ton. Some of it was injury-related due to Marcus Major's uh, lower body issue. We don't know exactly what his lower leg injury. Sorry. That was very hockey style injury reference there. Uh, lower body injury. Um, so we did get to see a lot of Javante Barnes, but yeah, aside from that, it just seemed like, you know, and I wrote an article about this over at Sooners wire about the linebacker death in particular, like you had three linebackers finishing the top 10 in snaps played in the country. Only one other team had more than one linebacker play more than 900 snaps last year. And that was Toledo. No other team in the football subdivision had two linebackers play more than 900 snaps and Oklahoma had three of them. So that would have been a place where I would like to see them play some more linebackers because we saw in close games, things didn't work out well for them defensively down the stretch. So that's another conversation for another time. But as we move forward, you read a really interesting article. Um, 
I'll let you set this up, Josh, because you threw this at me and I was like, whoa, what? Yeah, well, that's kind of was my reaction to it as well, John. I, I I don't see this as being altogether realistic anytime soon. I kind of feel like the wheels of realignment are grinding to a halt, at least for this next little bit here. But uh, this was from All Hogs, which is the, I, I believe, the SI affiliate of Arkansas, if I have that correctly. Uh, here was just, I'll read a little bit verbatim of what the story said. Now that Texas and Oklahoma are headed to the SEC potentially as early as 2024, the question everyone, John, should be asking is simple. Who's next? The most logical answer is staring the league right in the face, quite literally. TCU. The Horned Frogs give the SEC a firm foothold in the Dallas market and would lock, lock down all four of the major TV markets in Texas for good. Uh, they continue to make some arguments for why it makes sense right now. The, you know, most obvious of which is strike while the iron's hot, right? Playing in a national championship game, basketball with uh, coach Jamie Dixon is on an obvious uptick. So from that standpoint, yeah, it would make sense uh, to, to go get TCU right now. I would say to all hogs with all love, peace and love with all peace and love and due respect, I don't think you're adding much of the Dallas market with TCU. You've got the Dallas market with Oklahoma and with Texas. And honestly, with Texas A&M, I think you've got the Dallas market. I think those are the three preeminent forces in the Dallas market. But, uh, you know, in theory, it sounds great. And maybe TCU is this program that's truly on the come up, John. And if they win a national championship, things can change dramatically for that program, which I guess we can segue into that portion of the, the national championship conversation, because uh, I, I don't know that you and I will have the chance to tape talking about the national championship. Well, first, what do you think the expansion TCU, where, where are you at with this from all hogs? I mean, I think it's interesting, but it doesn't seem to make as much sense as some other schools might. Uh, you just look at like stadium capacity, um, you know, university profile. It just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't move the needle as much as some others might, um, you know, a, a prominent school and a prominent media market. It, sure. But like you mentioned, you've got the media market already because growing up in Dallas, Fort Worth myself, um, as somebody who was just kind of a big 12 fan before I really became an Oklahoma Sooners fan, it didn't matter that, you know, it, what was on, on Saturday, if Texas was on, if Oklahoma was on, or if they were playing, Generally, one of those two teams was going to be on in DFW. You you ride around Dallas-Fort Worth and you see Longhorn stickers and Sooner stickers and Aggies and you know Texas Tech. Like Texas Tech honestly could make as much sense as TCU for that matter because there's a ton of Red Raiders alumni in the Dallas-Fort Worth media market. But yeah, I, I, I like the idea. It's intriguing. I mean, I'm, I'm pro-expansion. I love the idea of expansion. I wish the Big 12 would have done it years ago, but hey. Thanks a lot, Bob Bowlesby. Um, so I don't really see it. I just don't feel like maybe they'd be as much of a fit as say like an Oklahoma state um, or some other teams out there, like, you know, look into the ACC for a Florida state or a Miami. I feel like they'd try to, they would try to aim higher first if they were going to re-expand or expand further. But I'm with you. I feel like things are probably going to slow down for a bit. Let the new college football playoff thing get settled in. The, the expansion on that, let Oklahoma and Texas get into the SEC, 
kind of figure out where you're at. That doesn't mean that by 2030, we're not seeing expansion again, but I just think that everybody's going to kind of take a beat and just see where the landscape lies. Because I think that would be like the SECs, I feel like would be more apt to want to move into Florida more so than they already are. Because they've already got, you know, you mentioned, you know, the the two major Texas schools, Oklahoma, just right outside of te- of the Dallas Fort Media Market. But you've only got one of the preeminent Florida programs. So would you want to go and get another one? To me, if uh, if you're expanding with just uh, assuming Notre Dame's off the table, okay, if you could get Notre Dame, that's the the number one school you should try to go get. Assuming that's not a possibility, which it doesn't seem like that's a possibility for anybody. If you're only adding two, I would say both Clemson and North Carolina are very, very intriguing ads to me because of how good Clemson has been lately. The The market that uh, they would bring you would be a new market. Same for North Carolina. I would actually entertain an argument for Duke just for similar reasons to North Carolina you add basketball, you fortify basketball. I know that's not the biggest money driver, but when you start getting to 17, 18, 19, 20 teams that you're talking about adding, why not fortify basketball a little bit more and hypothetically get Kentucky you know, another dance partner in terms of, of blue blood status? So that would be where I would be looking at with it. Uh, North Carolina, I think, would be a better add than Duke just because, guess what? They're better at football, and they've been better at football. I think, and this is – a lot of people are going to disagree with this. I think Kansas would be an intriguing ad for the SEC for all of those same reasons. Uh, you, you talk about, like, if you want to say, hey, you want to lock down the Dallas market. Okay, well, you don't really have the whole Kansas City market locked down because Kansas is a huge presence in the Kansas City market and what they add for basketball. But, hey, that's realignment discussion. That's uh, That's great for a summer day. So turning our attention to the national championship game, how are you feeling? And I, you may talk more about this when you're you know, recording Sunday night. Um, you want to tell them who you're going to have on Sunday night. I'm going to be away with my wife. We're just having you know time together. So Josh is going to you know, take, take the lead and, and hold down the fort. But Josh, how are you feeling about the national championship game? Well, first off, friendly tease for Sunday night. It will be the Plank Show meets Locked On Sooners. Chris Plank will We'll join the uh, the podcast here, so we'll kick it around. We're, we're going to talk Dylan Gabriel returning, Marvin Mims uh, obviously electing to go to the NFL draft. We'll get some of Plank's thoughts on that. You know we're going to talk some softball, and we'll probably talk some national championship as well. Man, I, uh, I'm i leaning pretty heavily Georgia in this national championship game. I don't know that – I mean, I I could make arguments for for both ways. If from Like if I'm spinning this to – in Oklahoma standpoint, what's best for OU? I can make, I think, a pretty fair argument either way that it's better for Oklahoma that Georgia repeats as national champion because guess what? They just won the national championship. They've already been recruiting like crazy. And oh, by the way, they're not in Texas, right? So TCU, I can pretty easily understand where somebody would say, well, why do you want TCU winning a national championship? It's, it's right there. Again, you know, all of these things, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here, but you do go after some of the same players in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex area from a recruiting standpoint. And all of a sudden, uh, you, you get that championship belt if you're TCU, and you start talking about, okay, maybe they start operating 
in a different tax bracket. I don't know if they have staying power or not. I would, I would probably lean more toward, I don't know that if they win a national championship, we're going to be talking about TCU, you know, rattling off multiple national championships with Sonny Dykes. Ask me to pick it. I would say, no, I don't think that's going to happen, but you win a national championship. Things can change pretty quickly, John. So I, I guess from the OU perspective, I'm probably rooting for Georgia, but I also just think Georgia's going to win this game, John, because I think they're a better football team. Yeah, the Fort Worthian in me really would like TCU to win this one because I've got I've got friends that are Horn Frogs. You know, our, our buddy Stephen Simcox of Locked On Horn Frogs. I mean, how ecstatic would he be? Just a good dude. I don't really know the Georgia guys. I'm sure they're great dudes too, but I've spent a lot of time chatting with Steven Simcox on college football, on family life, all kinds of stuff. And so like, how cool would it be? Like a dude that I worked with in Ethiopia, big they're him and his wife, they're Horn Frogs alumni. They, I know that they're going to be staying up middle of the night. They'll be up like three o'clock in the morning watching that game. I really would like, I've been there. I've watched Dallas Cowboys games. I've watched Sooners games, you know, at 3 a.m., hoping that my team's going to win. And there's nothing worse than you're being up that late, getting that little sleep and your team losing. So I'm, I'm kind of pulling for them on that front too. Shout out to y'all uh, out there in Ethiopia. Hope everything's good. But uh, yeah, so my, my Fort Worthian, I, I lived in, you know, just North of Fort Worth for, you know, I don't know, like 12 years or so. Um, I almost went to TCU. I just didn't want to write the essay they had on their application. Um so yeah, it's that, that kind of has me leaning how I'd like it to go is TCU from your standpoint on the recruiting front. I think it hurts Texas and Texas A&M more if TCU wins the national championship, than it hurts Oklahoma. Oklahoma has proven that they are a diverse recruiter. Like they will, they'll go to Texas. Sure. But they'll spend as much time in the Southeast. They'll pull kids out of Washington They'll get a kid out of California. They'll go to Colorado. They'll go to Kansas. Like it doesn't matter where they're from. If you're good, they'll go to New Jersey and New York. It doesn't matter if you're good. Oklahoma's coming after you. If they think that you're a good player, Oklahoma's going to come for you. So, but on the Texas front, Texas, I mean, the Texas fans are really happy to tell us how many Texas kids they get on their roster all the time. If TCU ends up being really, really good and they're able to sustain this for several years, that's going to hurt Texas eventually. Like they'll, they'll have more competition. Sonny Dykes has proven he can recruit at several stops now. And he's proven that he can win at several stops now. And if they cap this off with a national title, that's only going to benefit TCU. It's going to hurt Texas, which we're always d- down for hurting Texas. But how I'm leaning to this one, Georgia. I really think it's going to be the Bulldogs. Just the experience that they have in this game, the you know, yeah, the defense gave gave up a ton of points to the Ohio State uh, Buckeyes, but again, it's still a really good defense. Uh, Stetson Benton has proven to be a really good college quarterback after some questions coming into last year. It's just a really good Georgia offense, a really good Georgia defense. That said, TCU's offense is good enough to keep it competitive, and then you don't know what's going to happen. I do think you know the that Georgia isn't going to be able to cover TCU covers the spread in a tight ball game. But I do think that Georgia ultimately pulls it out um, and goes back to back and continues that undefeated streak. It's such a crazy run that Kirby smart's been on over the last couple of years. So who knows when it'll end because uh, yeah, they'll have quite a few games early on next year where they'll have a chance to continue that 
that winning streak. Any other thoughts you want to leave the people with Josh uh, for their weekend of sports watching? Uh, I think I might be bouncing around a little bit. Hopefully I'm, I'm back now, but uh, my heart of hearts is rooting for TCU. I can't separate myself from that. I'm definitely pulling for the dog in this game. Uh, not, not the bulldog, the, the underdog in this game, which is clearly TCU. So, uh, you know, whether or not it's good or bad for Oklahoma, you know, I, I don't know. I think you laid out some good reasons that it's probably more harmful to Texas and Texas A&M. And, you know, the other teams that it would be potentially not so great for is whatever's left over this Big 12 conference, right? I mean, it, I think it positions TCU, if they win a national championship, man, to clean up and to be the clear uh, number one program in the Big 12 moving forward. So that's like we can talk about Oklahoma all night long into the weekend and, and you know, the following year, but it's the other Big 12 programs that should be rooting for Georgia. And it's funny because I see a lot of those folks on social media pretty happy for TCU waving that Big 12 flag. And I don't know that it's necessarily great for you, but hey, I, I'm definitely rooting for TCU. It's hard not to uh, in this game. We just saw Georgia win a national championship. And ultimately, it's good for college football, right? To see somebody different win it and I, I think you know that parody would be uh would be fun to see and this continues to further support my college football playoff expansion argument because what did everybody say big 12 would have no chance now we'll see what happens like when they get into the title game but nobody would have given TC, nobody really gave tcu a chance except for our guy shay and jay Raja over at cbs sports very few people gave tcu a chance to beat michigan and they did it very few people are given george uh, tcu a chance to beat georgia who knows what's going to happen, but I think that they're a tough team. They're a physical team. They've got the heart to keep it close and, and not like lay down in this one. So it's going to be, it's going to be a really, really interesting game. I'm really looking forward to tuning into this one. It's, it's going to be fascinating. We're not here, you know, going big 12, big 12. I just, I have other reasons why I'm kind of pulling for TCU, but uh, we're also not going SCC because nah, nah, none of that. It's Oklahoma or nothing, but go frogs. Uh, and that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of the show. Uh, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms and on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button over there. Smash that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop and hit the like button. Give us a five-star rating over on Apple to help other people find out about the show. We had a, a great year in, in 2022. We hadn't really talked about that. Don't like the toot my own horn, but thank you so much. Uh, for being part of the show and making Locked On Sooners your first listen and helping other people find out about the show. We're really loving the interaction we're getting from you on YouTube and on Twitter as well. So if you haven't followed the show over on Twitter, make sure you do that at Locked On Sooners. Uh, but again, he's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref and here on Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. I'm John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John 9 Williams. You can also read my work covering the Sooners over at thesoonerswire.com. But until Sunday night, Monday morning, where you get the Plank Show crossing over with Locked On Sooners, Josh Elmer, Chris Plank. Uh, we'll I'll catch you on Tuesday or Monday. We'll be back for the live show on Monday night. So we'll be back then. Uh, until then, Boomer Sooner.